Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News alongside Mara Carabello with the Exoro Group. And Greg Hughes, now... Citizen Hughes. Citizen Hughes, right. also a little bit of a lobbyist, a former speaker of the I House. lobby for truth, justice, the American way. That's my client. The basics. Yep. What do you do, just like for people who are wondering what you do, like when you're not a speaker anymore? Greg, for all of like, us. What's, yeah. what's like a normal a Greg Hughes day I'm, like? I'm not really sure. It's life by Braille. Um, no, I, look, I, I had issues I was really passionate about when I was a public servant. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm really fond of like public safety. So when the sheriff's association asked if I would be interested in working with them, I didn't have a whole lot of else going on. I wasn't uh, a public servant. I wasn't running for office, and I still love policy. So I'm I'm working with them. Uh, just just issues like that. So I, I I like to consult. I like to advocate for issues like I said that uh, are important. Truth, justice, the American way, stuff like that. Just the basics. I just try to stay on the side of angels. That's you where up, I try to you stay. Brush your right teeth, there. You put on your wow. super tights. That's what I do. Cape. You yeah. know, I just I just try to. It's you know. a lot of t-shirt. Yeah. Front right there, just in your little bit. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, that's what I do. And Mara, nice. you're just a boss babe at the office. <laughs> <laughs> <Shit> <laughs> boss. Babe. So, so only could Heidi call you that and not. You and have you're, you laugh and your you know. projections. I'm really tired. I feel, like, I feel of like you I could, could do oh, it too. Yeah. Oh, you're saying I could call you the boss, I, babe. Yeah. I can call you that. Yeah, go ahead. It's it's your office. Yeah, with your staff. Sure. Okay, we'll try that. Sure. We'll see how far that gets. Sure. Me. They, you uh, yeah. can do that because they'll they'll yeah. judge you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's the deal. There is that they will judge you. You know what? I will. Know give, you. Let's give a little shout out to the Exoro Group next year. 20th year. Can you believe that? 20th anniversary. That Congratulations. Yeah. That's a long time to keep a business running. I know. It's surprising. It catches up to you. Speaking of keeping businesses running, it's my 25th wedding anniversary, which is sort of Ooh. like a business that I've been running for 25 yes. years. Congratulations. I've kept my husband around that long. Thank you. So anyhow, that makes me sound old. Uh, this week was a heck of a snowstorm that has nothing to do with politics. I don't think Republican or Democratic prayers brought more. <laughs> but did you guys get hit hard at your houses? Yes, yes. I did. How I, much? Inches. I had I had a foot. I had Ooh, a foot yeah. and I had so I have a I have a snowblower that apparently is just decoration in my garage. I thought it would actually work, but it didn't. It's oh, because it's even, heavy snow. Well it's not it didn't even turn on. I don't know what anyway, it just I, it's not even an old snowblower, but it didn't work. But so I was the village idiot with the shovel, uh, shoveling all that snow. It took me three straight hours and uh, How do you feel? I was really sore the day after. I went to bed at eight thirty. That, that, that day. literally i went to bed at 8 30 i was so at all. oh I, everything hurt and i was just so tired i went to bed and but uh next day i came along fine I'm, I'm we fine. were probably over a foot at our house and it was so beautiful and then i did i asked my lovely husband to do enough of a driveway that i could skedaddle out and then i am just arriving back from vegas about two hours ago oh nice. so he, he did send me pictures of 
very lovely shoveled walkways and urban. So I took I took photographic evidence of the Herculean task that was in front of me, and once it was completed, I had to record yeah. it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, sure, you got to catch. I'll bet you that was the biggest snowfall that we've had in it's our home. It's been a long time, and it was heavy snow for, too. And I think that was in. the crazy part. It was just so wet and heavy. Yeah. Whoever built the house that we live in really loved pines, and I think they're Austrian pines. They're big and beautiful, but the snow was so heavy on them. They just like we could hear the trees moaning oh. and cracking. My husband's been out there chopping those poor babies. Did down. you get some breakage? Major breakage, and they all look like really ugly trees now. I'm so sad. So, oh, yeah. anyhow, we need the water, so that's good. We can all shower next year after this snowstorm. Yeah. So, are we done with the drought? Is that it? Can we just say yeah, yeah. One game over? Storm, tap out. Done. Uh, this is it. a big one, though. No. Oh, no. Uh, no, we're not. Well, I don't want more of those, so I'll take the drought. We're done. I know, I just, we're I'm, I'm in the drought then. I, I, that's about as much as I want. Because snow. that was hard to shovel? Yeah, three hours. And How I went to bed at 8.30. I don't want to go to bed at 8.30. the shoveling and then we well, don't have Yeah, I don't want to go to bed that early You anymore. need your kids to help. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, the point of having it's, You know how there's Boston hard, there's Draper soft. <laughs> Draper <laughs> soft. <laughs> you know, it's just, these kids I don't like know. They've never known problem. a hard day. I know, <laughs> yes. it probably is. But I only got one at home now and he's, anyway, he's... He's running the place, I guess, because okay. he didn't help me. I feel your pain. Yeah. Uh, this week also, I didn't have this on the issues list planning to talk about, but I feel like we're forced to. This week has been an insane week at our kids' schools, not because it's the last week of school before the Christmas and holiday break, but we started off the week with uh, threats in Utah County, um, I think as far as San Juan County, in the Jordan District, in Salt Lake County, and it's kind of happened all week long where there's been new threats, not necessarily a gun found at school, but some kind of threat on Snapchat or something happening, and now all of a sudden at East High School today, after we had all of these I guess we should backtrack. A bunch of uh, districts sent out emails last night saying that there were some online threats and some, I think it's more of a national problem right now than just a Utah problem, where there's threats, and I think maybe the threats made, let's say, in Ohio or Alabama, and then they share the initials of a school, and there's those initials in about every state, and then it gets shared on Snapchat. And the problem is they have to investigate all of these because how do you know which ones are real and what are not? And I think we're getting to the point this week where it's like, kids, please stop making these false threats. But at East High School today, we had a student actually show up with a gun in their backpack. Earlier in the week, uh, there was a West High School student who actually had a gun in a bathroom there, posted on Snapchat. So the thing is, is we're all getting sick of these threats. Kids just want to go to school and learn. But you can't not take these seriously. So, Greg, what do we do about this? Because this is like the new, the new world problem. It is, and I'll, I'll tell you, our, the school district that my son go, attends, the school he attends, our school district contacted us. My wife told me last night that we got this uh, email that they were going to enhance uh, security or uh, police presence because there's been a lot of uh, this chatter that you just described. I was hoping and I thought that it would just be just that, that kids were just kind of ginning that up and, and watching adults react. Um, but uh, no, that we had an incident today, as you described. And it's, I, I, it, look, if you think about it, a seventh grader in school today, the last year they had a normal school year was when they were in fourth grade. If you think about the years that have been interrupted because of COVID. Yeah. We're hearing about disciplinary problems that are unprecedented right now in our schools as students are trying to get back and they're trying to get back to some uh, normal delivery of education. We know proficiency is down. We know that there's consequences to the way that our children have attempted to or have been uh, remote learning or going to school uh, sporadically at times. 
and I think it's 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 all playing out. I, I I don't condone it. I'm not. I'm just trying to get my head around it, and that's all this is is an explanation. But I don't think our kids, given a th- three school years of of an interrupted school experience, I think there's just there's just problems. There's there's more unruly behavior. There's more threats. There's more. There, there are more problems, and I don't think that's going to go away. I think that we have to be cognizant of it, and we have to understand and maybe uh, take better inventory of what's happened to our young ones uh, in the last since you know since this whole COVID nightmare began. And I think that it's a. I think we're going to see this. I think it's going to be so you years think coming. They're, they're connected. I do. I there's before this even the the, the talk of violence in schools. There, I've, I've spoken to parents who've uh, in different school districts where they were getting letters from principals things saying. We had more incidences this month than we had collectively a year ago, and we're we're seeing we're just seeing a lot of uh, bad behavior that we haven't seen before. But then it was pointed out some of these kids in seventh grade, or I don't want to pick on seventh graders, but whatever grade they're in, yeah, think the about the last yeah, <laughs> think about think about the last year, twenty nineteen, the eighteen nineteen, or was, yeah, would would it, yeah, it have been would it have been the eighteen nineteen or the nineteen twenty school year, whatever it was. It was three years ago, and I'm telling you that that's it's it's having its impact, its detrimental impact. So, what's going to change it, Mara? Do we need to start checking our kids' backpacks before they go to school? Check their phones after they go to bed at night? I, I mean, nobody wants to live in a police state, but we all obviously think our kids are not the problem, but somebody's kids are the problem. So, yeah, you know, where I mean, do we start? I, I think it's as easy and as hard as talking to them more, right? Yeah. And and. You know, this is an old, old adage that sort of separate whether your kid is good or bad from just hearing them, checking them, listening to them. Like, we don't need to label them, but it is a time where, as Greg is suggesting, it good kids, people who are handling things, people who have all these really good adjectives associated with them are also really stressed right now and maybe having some mental health issues. And and yeah. I think it is nice to normalize mental health and to normalize that our kids may be scared, worried, or hurt. I think what's really important at times like this is if we want to talk about problems and stress points, I think what's just the most critical with kids is you talk about solutions. You never talk about a problem with a kid in which you don't present a way to empower themselves. But a big part of empowering kids is talking about it and not assuming that your kid is good or bad because they're stressed about something um, and not assuming that your kid's always okay because they tell you they're okay. And to Greg's point, this has been a crazy couple of years for all of us. And in, in a world that sometimes insist that we're all okay and insist that we're all perfect and you add social media into the spectrum of perfect and your kids can be getting good grades and be stressed your kids could have a great friend group and be stressed and so I think it's as easy and as difficult it's it's hard to bring up hard issues with kids and so I think what it is is hear them talking about it and hear you talking about it but the talking about it is moving through and saying, gosh, you know, I get stressed sometimes or I get scared sometimes. And if your friends are doing this, you got to tell me because we, we've got to move away from the equation that's about good, bad, blame, not blame, yeah. and more into understanding awareness 
And some vigilance actually right now is needed. And that's the scary part is that kids have to be a little more vigilant, I think, certainly than when I was a kid. Those, yeah. Yeah. And the good news is that kids are reporting these problems on the right. Safe UT app. But social media, while it brings so many good things to our lives, I think it amplifies the problems. Because I think if we look back to when we were kids in school, it certainly wasn't happening at this rate. But I went to West Jordan Middle School and it had a pool. And I remember when kids just got sick of swimming Somebody would go call in the payphone in the lobby and call in a bomb threat so they would go search the pool. I don't know why that was the thing they would call right. in because I would assume you could see that in the bottom <laughs> of the water to get you out of swimming or whatever. So kids have always tried stupid things like that. But the thing is, is we live in a world now where we know that violence does happen in our schools. And so we have to take it seriously, right. which means we have to talk to our kids well, and be and then, serious let's, about it. Let's move on to these adults that I, I saw a report that on Snapchat, these uh, mob, what do you call them, the, the flash mobs that are raiding uh, stores, breaking the windows, stealing. They're organizing those through Snapchat. Apparently when you communicate there, it'll erase the messages within 30 minutes or something. And so they're finding that the way so many people are congregating around a, a Nordstrom's or some retail outlet or places that they're using Snapchat to organize those and then they're attacked. So it's it's our youth, it's our kids, but it's, it's a society. I think we're just in a I think we're in a tough time right now. Humans. I feel like we're, we're going through a cycle. We're at the bottom of the barrel. We need to get ourselves out of this. Seriously. I mean, come on. I know. Speaking of people who are saying, come on, I'm guessing that President Biden's in the White House saying that right now because the Build Back Better plan, I think he was really hoping that he'd have, I don't know if he was hoping he'd have something on his desk or something by Christmas, but Mara, it's not happening right now. Um Mitt Romney, I think, has been kind of one to broker deals, but he's um, stressed and not happy about it because he's saying that Democrats are not even willing to negotiate or look at some of the child incentives or plans that maybe Republicans are willing to look at. Is this something that can get accomplished and both sides are going to talk, or is this going to have to be Democrats saying my way or the highway to pass this? Well, I, mean, I think Democrats have already said my way or the highway, but then that darn mansion fellow is making it really hard. So <laughs> Tricky. I, I think they're not even able to have the you know highway right now because they can't get out of their own caucus but um you know i still think there's a chance in january but i don't think there's any political person who thinks the door just gets really shut not tight yet in january but that it's it's going to be very hard to do it what's interesting is that it appears as though one of the sticking points in the negotiations is the tax credit, the child mm -hmm. tax credit, which is so fascinating because in public, Republicans and Democrats to a certain degree are all for it. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting trick that that seems to be the rumored hang up and yet no one will own it because it's not, it's, it's not popular to own that in public. But um, I think for most players, you can't help but say Biden hasn't given up. Biden, there, there's a chance in January, but it's significantly smaller yeah. when you move I'll to I'll be January. interested to see if the child tax credit's as popular after people file their taxes because for most Americans, you're getting that money up front, as I understand it. Yeah. So when you go to file, instead of getting that money that you can, you know, claims you're not paying as much at the end of the year, you're going to owe more. So I think some people are going to think that they're richer than they are, and then all of a sudden they're going to owe the federal government money. I don't know how that's going to work out. Greg, do you see a way forward where we can agree on a build back better plan where it's super powered, medium size, small size? I don't, but I'm going to take a different tack. Now I'm not going to talk about this from the perspective of a conservative or from a Republican, but I'm going to talk about this from the perspective of having been a public servant and been speaker of the house. I, 
I fundamentally do not know how anyone, why it escapes members of Congress that all public policy is about math. It's about addition. You have to get the numbers. I do not understand a party that says, and maybe and this, I probably will sound partisan here, but if you are at a 50-50 split in the Senate, how can you be so strident? You have to know. There has to be something inherent that, that perfect cannot be the enemy of good if you want to get something, if you want to move the needle and you want something better than what you think the status quo is providing, you've got to work with who is there. Is, does anybody not understand why Senator Manchin is voting against these things? He's in a state, West Virginia, that voted overwhelmingly for President Trump. It's a conservative or more right of center constituency that he represents and that he as a senator is going to represent. And if AOC or Chuck Schumer or whoever it is cannot, Bernie Sanders, they can't comprehend why Senator Manchin is, is approaching this the way he is, where, I, I, don't, I don't know that they understand the legislative branch because, you know, it might be a supermajority of Republicans in Utah, but I'm telling you, a West Valley Republican in the House, State House, and a King County Republican in the State House have very different constituencies and very different priorities. And so, really, the, the, pro, the process of public policy is addition, and you have got to find that common ground. This always seems front-loaded with very, very aggressive agendas that almost by pressure, almost by surrounding the senator's car in a parking lot and protesting him and trying to shame him into the, the vote. I don't know what they're doing. I really don't. And if, if, the, if the split was the other way and Republicans had a 50-50 split and the, and the vice president was a, was a Republican to break it and they were just trying to go all or nothing, I would scoff just as loud. I promise you I would. I, I don't think they are. I mean, I think what you're seeing is how close they are to a deal. I mean, I and that doesn't mean they'll get to a deal. Yeah. But they're down. I mean, I think I think both sides would say it's not like the cuts. Remember where we started, right? We started with an insane number. Yep. Now we're at, at a medium insane number. So <laughs> they have they, how easily they, we but, get used yeah, to these big numbers. Here, they, but they there. have given already. I mean, I think I, I think it it would be unfair to to wholesale say they don't get the process. I think there is more diversity uh, on the Democratic side. I think it's a, it's a, it's a bigger spectrum of, ide- of, the, of positions. The reason I think the window's closing quicker than they maybe appreciate is because inflation is, I think, hitting families and hitting our economy harder and faster than I think we anticipated. Look, if it's 5 to, six, five to 10% of inflation, that's a 5 to 10% cut in your pay. If you're a family that's, you know, that works paycheck to paycheck, putting food on the table, paying a mortgage or a rent, these are real impacts to people and printing more money or spending more money or the confidence that the public at large is going to have about larger and larger spending bills when they're feeling the pinch of inflation and other things. I don't know that the appetite's going to be as strong uh, you know, a week from now or a month from now than it watch, is right though, now. watch though is President Biden. Yeah is consummate because Senator Biden, I mean, that man, like him, dislike him, he knows the process so well. And a a little, if there was a little pivot in the last 24 hours, it was sort of the question about, well, hey, what do you think you're going to do about voting rights, which is a separate issue, right? Mm -hmm. And you saw President Biden going, yeah, let's talk about that. You know, so I I think you you see him also pivoting to another power issue in the eyes of the Democrats. Absolutely. And I think the interesting part, and this is what I always go back to, is I like the idea of a build back better plan. But the word build to me says that there might be building blocks of one block on another block on another block. 
I just can't wrap my head around it, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, when you get this many issues, because I think they're all important issues that deserve debate and conversation. But I feel like we're throwing so much at the American people and our senators all at once. It's hard to make a decision when somebody's trying to make you spend that much money on that many issues. Can you really understand all of them all at once? I know we're taking too long on this topic, but just to give you an example of what you just said, uh, child care. That is, that is an intuitive issue. I mean, there are, there are struggling single moms or struggling people where the child care to have their child taken care of while they work is, is, a, is, a, is a barrier. It's a barrier to employment. It's something that's, that's terribly needed. And it can be that social safety net that we need. But when you get into this bill and you hear, hear about how they want to structure the child care funding, there comes the federal requirements. So, the, the facility has to be so large. You have to have uh, college degrees to be on on site or, or one of the one of the employees the, the requirements that they put in place to qualify for that funding uh, will increase for those that aren't getting it uh, for aren't getting it receiving it as a as a, a, ben, a federal benefit that cost will increase for but Heidi, you else. bring up what is interesting and, and broken something on that both needs to be sides. talked about that this, needs this to be broken down. Talk about this, this habit yeah. of omnibusing which has been going on for decades yeah. from both sides that is, in essence, one of the fundamental problems with Congress. We, we, they've gotten out of the habit of debating individual issues. This is an indictment on everybody there. Yeah, and I it, agree. And, and on individual, and I know there's the politic of not doing it too. Yeah. But the policy has gotten away, and now by both sides, this strategy is an omnibus and sort of too much to handle, too long, too detailed. Yeah. And we've it is what's fundamentally flawed at the federal level that actually doesn't happen at the state and local levels. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure it's cool to walk away from your presidency and have this giant legacy right. bill of big change. I mean, I think the biggest change was probably Obamacare and looking um, back to President Obama's presidency. That was a pretty massive overhaul. And I think every president probably wants something like that. They can say they did, but should we be doing something that large when we really can't understand the issues is part of the problem. So I hope that they break it down. I don't think they will, but I think speaking about one issue at a time is a great way to really understand how they're working. Uh, one issue I want to talk about that's local in Utah, uh, the human rights campaign ranks cities in overall right now. Utah is failing in one category, and this is for LGBTQ+. Um, not just rights, but how cities and counties deal with them. And interestingly enough, I didn't think you could get a hundred percent score in anything these days. But uh, Greg, I'll let you go first on this. When Salt Lake City was um, celebrating a one hundred score um, from the Human Rights Campaign and the Equality Federation, now Utah as a whole didn't do as well. West Jordan's a thirty-six, Orem's a twenty-two, Logan's a forty-eight. Park City's up there at a seventy. So Salt Lake City's doing something. What do you see Salt Lake City that's doing right? Because someone's noticing. You <laughs> well, got to. You've gotta asked that question right? in a very different way than I was prepared to oh, answer. Good. It. Um, what are they doing right? We're not um, here with talking wow. points, Greg. Well, it's not talking points. It's just I'm, I'm just a truth teller. So okay. now I have to think of what they're doing right. Just, uh, Where's your anger it. on this issue? I don't. I have no anger. I just want to ask everybody the simple question: Would you like to live in downtown Salt Lake City Currently? as opposed to the city you live in right now? I wouldn't. And I'll tell well, you what, wait, I no, don't no, see... No, I'm not going to let you bifurcate issues. The uh, reason I don't want to live in downtown Salt Lake has nothing to do with the LGBTQ community. No, but, it uh, might but, be the category of failure of, the, of law enforcement and homelessness. Crime so, and homelessness. Like, well, let's just so like, stick with no the topic There's no human of, rights related to those experiencing homelessness? Well, so, so, so the... Let me, let me just give you a little bit about the human rights campaign. Um, it is... It's a, only for... 
it's, Go ahead, it's tell a me. specific association that deals I'm, with yeah. the LGBTQ community. So that has to be the topic. I think it's not. too myopic. And again, it goes back to my overall point. When you say the human rights campaign, many people will think that humans of so whatever you're objecting to this organization's name? No, I'm just saying that I, I just find a hundred a hundred to get a hundred percent from the human rights campaign as a city that's hitting hitting it on all levels is is deceiving in its in its title and its score. So let me tell I you why I don't I, don't, I, think I don't buy was, into it. I think this was an interesting thing. So this this um, index has been around mm. for about ten years. So this isn't the first time. I think they just did a better job talking about it this year. And the index has very specific, as all indexes do, and as all rankings do. You can go and see what they're looking at to judge it by. And it's not sort so of so you could look at the ten points and make sure you're awesome at those yeah, ten points. Well, no, I mean it's it's more that it is specific grade but they list it. And I think one differentiation is what it's specifically evaluating is how well the city has done with laws, ordinances, policies, and rules that govern particularly the LGBTQ community. And one of the things I love about Utah is when we led the non-discrimination stuff that happened two and three years ago, this was really a cooperative effort. And I mean, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints should be given some credit for helping with this score because this is about the laws and protections we've put into place. Yeah. Specific. So it's specific to ordinance. It's not even about a way of life and quality of life. And it's not even about whether you'd want to live or not live in Salt Lake City. It's that has a municipality statutorily approached the LGBTQ community particularly and codified non-discrimination there. So I don't know a city who can't take over that hurdle because those hurdles are really not about lifestyle. They're really about protection ordinances. And I will say that the coalition that helped Salt Lake get to this number was really broad and really diverse. And so I think we should be celebrating that because of its diversity. My question is, um, you just mentioned the religious liberties anti-discrimination legislation that was passed in 2015. The legislature, that was a state statute. Uh, wouldn't that improve the scores? I wasn't of actually every speaking city? the state statute. No, this is very specific to not judging states. It judges municipalities. And I was speaking to the precursor to that, which was done in Salt Lake City. Oh, so I okay. just should be clear, this is, has I mean, nothing I, to do yeah. with judging states. This uh, only I know, judges I know locals. it doesn't judge states, but my, my point there was that we, we created a state statute that Right. Everyone had to adhere to yeah. in terms of religious liberties or anti-discrimination. And so the, the, the tide should have lifted all boats, including all cities. And so I don't know. I, I don't know why the, there would be such disparate Maybe scores. Did. Maybe Logan was even lower. Because that was a good bill. Yeah. Well, I here's thought. the interesting part that I thought, because, I mean, who would have thought when you're celebrating a mile mark like this for Salt Lake City that LGBTQIA plus um, would be something that we would be celebrating that we're doing a good job with, which shows me that if we can do a good job at that here in Utah where people wouldn't expect that, why can we not be doing a good job in these other areas that Greg mentions? It's really about what do you care about? What do you focus on? And so I think if we can give that same kind of focus and care in our communities to these other issues that are having problems, we can do hard things, right? Amen. We can do Amen. hard things. Amen. And the stuff, I agree, the stuff that's not working in Salt Lake, which I think there's more that's not working. Greg and I would agree there's more that's not working in that's Salt Lake City. That's pretty bad. You, you got a pretty bad situation I am, I am if we're an only, Since I've lived, I'm only a Salt Laker. And, and, and I do think that it, it, results happen where your energy is. 
Absolutely. Um, I want to speak about a little political energy here, specifically in Utah right now. Um, It's been a little while since Ben McAdams um, came out in support of Evan McMullen, who is running for U.S. Senate against Senator Mike Lee. Um, He wrote an op-ed about it in the Deseret News. He's talked about it on Twitter. He does a lot of retweeting of Evan McMullen's um, issues. And while I think it's great for anyone to support whatever candidate they choose, you know, find a candidate you can support and back. The question here, and we were talking about this in our post podcast last week, you weren't here, Mara, but we were talking about, is this a a good thing for the Democratic Party or does it matter? Because I think there's some concern right now that maybe someone who, I think he's a big name in Utah, his Democratic circle, he was a congressman, he did a great job as Salt Lake County mayor on a lot of fronts. Um, Now he's supporting independent, which independence, I think, is probably the middle ground where a lot of us are. But does it hurt the Democratic Party when you have one of your strongest Democrats not supporting a Democrat, which there is in this race? Yeah. So, I mean, you guys can tell me if Brian King, the minority leader, disagreed with it because he is a Democrat. But I would tell you from my position that um, statistically a Democrat statewide for federal seat, the Senate is not viable. And so if I were someone who wanted an alternative to Republicans, which is what Evan McMullen presents, that I would argue you're better off getting Utahns in the habit of not voting for Republicans, even if they didn't make it all the way to the Democrats. So I would say that it's a smart thing for Ben McAdams to do. I don't think it hurts the Democratic Party. Now, if the Democratic Party had a viable candidate, we would be having a different discussion. But I think the action of not voting for the Republican at the end of the day would help the Democrats. Is it all about gamesmanship then? Because if we look back to the gubernatorial race, um, a lot of Democrats changed their affiliation so they could vote in the closed primary because they wanted a voice in, because they knew the Republican was going to be the person who won ultimately, and they wanted a voice in that. Is that a great way to go about it in a state where you're run by one party? So what I will tell you, and and my friend Mr. Hughes disagrees with this point of view, (laughs) I believe that the individual action of voting and the individual action Uh. of making up my own mind is so much more important than an arbitrary affiliation with a construct that is the party. And so I don't think party affiliation should be what drives you. I don't think you should be spoon-fed by a donkey or an elephant. I think you should make up your own mind and vote for who you want to vote for. Don't tell Twitter this because everyone's so ingrained in their donkey And in the state of Utah, in order to fully speak your mind, if you want to vote for a Republican, you have to change your party affiliation because the Republicans here are so afraid of competing in the marketplace mm, that we they just have Republicans make us vote for the Republican make, nominee. Make you join your brand because they don't think they can compete openly. So yeah, I think you vote for who you want, and you don't worry too much whether a party is happy with you or not. Mm. What you just heard is the white flag of the Democrat Party in Utah. You there is no party. You don't have leaders that have been elected leaders in the Democrat Party who want to affiliate with or support a Democrat statewide for office. The Democrat Party in Utah is now a regional party. It's in Salt Lake City. It could be in Park City. It can be in Moab. But they've given it up because in the 2020 election, as you just pointed out, they said if you want your vote to count, register as a Democrat. Change your party affiliation and register as a Republican. Now they're saying, and this is what Ben McAdams said, he said it's a futile effort or futile task to, to, to support a Democrat statewide in the U.S. Senate race. And the problem with that is... Isn't this good a state without parties? We can just yeah, vote Yeah, let's for be people. a one-party state. So I believe in a two-party. Right, we are. So this is, what I, this is what I believe. I believe that a two-party 
governance is important. I think that each party works hard to come up with a platform, and that platform is to articulate their general positions and how they see and how they would act if, if, if they were elected. And if we took Mara's uh, you know, pragmatism to its, its nth degree, we would, we would cease to have two parties, and I don't think that that would promote more debate, uh, more deliberation. Think about the race in New Jersey for governor that just happened. That's as blue as blue, as blue of a blue state as you're going to find. The incumbent, uh, Governor uh, Murphy, Paul Murphy, mm-hmm. on election night with 90% reported, he was winning by less than 1% to the Republican former state lawmaker. Now, if Republicans looked in New Jersey and said, well, look, Republicans are never going to win for governor. So why even try? Let's just all become Democrats and vote in the Democrat, you know, vote for the Democrat. I would that you don't get you don't build your Republican Party that way. New Jersey has a Republican Party. They are not ready to throw up the white flag. They're not giving up statewide races. They're not saying, well, we'll never win. And in this case, thank goodness there was a Republican that was running because the incumbent governor barely won. And you can see his tone and how he's speaking to the media. It has changed. He's saying now used to be one of the most strident mandate uh, enforcers of governors we have in America. He's, and he just said, it was just a couple of days ago, I think the people are getting tired of, of, uh, of the restrictions and the mandates. And you can see his tone change because he nearly lost in an overwhelmingly blue state. That's because there were Republicans making the other case. Why Democrats don't think that their role in our election process in a November race is relevant, important, or can so, describe it better than futile, I'll never I, understand. I should be really clear Democrats do think that in Utah, and Greg knows Democrats think that in Utah. I don't represent the Democratic Party, you don't, it's, nor have yeah, I ever reported. I'm not really so coming it's after unfair. You, no, no. no, you can come after me because no, I'm not no. afraid. But hold it's on, ben Greg, I'm I let after. you. I'm coming but, after Ben McAdams. I'm on this. just saying Ben's the one that's, I'm just that's saying doing on his this, party a you're, disservice. You're being really flowy with this because Republicans don't put time, energy, or effort in the state of Utah to Democratic seats, and we have Democratic seats, and you know we have Democratic yeah, seats. You do, but they're and regional. You spend time. All your Democrats in the House are from Salt Lake. County. You're talking They're about statewide, City. but you put no time and energy. So we were talking about a single position. I think the Democrats have a viable point of view. What we know from research is over and over, Utah's values align as well, if not better, with unaffiliated and Democratic candidates. If you believe that, you would have a, candidate, with, a statewide no, candidate for that, office. That's not true. You would. That's if not you true. believe what you just said. I do believe it. And Democrats have put up more value-driven candidates. And what we have is a label problem here. We don't have a party that doesn't represent people. We have people who have been indoctrinated, as you continue to do, that say a brand is more important than an idea. And Um, my consensus is, no, ideas are more important. So when you hear someone who has an idea that you believe in or a value or a policy or a belief or an agenda, you should respond to that and not worry about what their party brand is. So I think parties matter. I think the Democrats will tell you the parties matter. I'm sure the Democratic Party, I can't imagine they're happy with Ben McAdams right now. Yeah, the party chair, I think, recently said, uh, Diane Lewis, now is the time to recruit and support good candidates statewide up and down our ballots. So, yeah, and, and you know what, Mara, you're, you and I, we can, we, we're, we're speaking out here here in the cheap seats, we can, right. we can, we're commentators, but I'm talking about a former Democrat member of Congress and Ben McAdams, former mayor of Salt Lake County, large, large, largest County in, in the state, uh, the mayor, Democrat mayor. And he's telling every, he called upon the Democrats to not bring forward a candidate for the United States Senate in the November race. I think that is just such a, 
a commentary on how bad it's a white flag. It's a white flag. I just think it's... Look, if, that, if that's the way, then why am I getting in the way? I mean, if you guys don't sure. ever want to ha- own a statewide candidate and you want to say that any Democrat running is a futile effort, who am I to say otherwise? But, but I, I want to be clear. No one said any Democrat running is a futile effort. I mean, I appreciate no, the expansionism ben of it. No, well, he didn't. Ben did said for he that said, race. He said, in this race, this is how he would go. And, he's and it was speaking, the governor's race, the, the cycle has, before that. He has the complexity to choose the person and the agenda, which is why in Utah, if you want individualism and thinking, you should go left of center. If you want compliance and adherence, you should go right. <laughs> I do think it's a tricky thing. I don't I, know I, how I, you I can say that while you say that the, the left of center Democrats don't vote for them because they have no chance of winning. I don't understand how I you can say, that. Well, say those did. two things. I think it's got to be hard, though, as a Democratic candidate, because I think Chris Peterson was not thrilled with all the push for people to go and really back and figure out who they wanted to in the Republican Party, because he was like, hey, I'm here, I'm running, I have valid, you know, Things I want to talk about, but people didn't really want to listen to him. So I think it's yeah. How do you get us? How do you get a good know. candidate to run that will put real resources and time in? If this this pragmatism of let's be honest, Democrats are never winning. But that's I, not I, what's it, happening. If, Greg. When you, Democrats don't want to be Democrats, that tells you what it, is going on. You're you're about the party, and a lot of people are about the idea and the person. And the genesis of all of this is Mike Lee is an unacceptable representative of the state of Utah. All right. It sounds We're like leave you should have a that good Democrat that should say should should I make that case. I don't need a Democrat or a Republican. I need a candidate. Okay, Mara that doesn't, I can support. and I accept that Mara doesn't. But I'm saying that the party and those that have represented have been elected under the banner of that party uh, should be helping build their party. If they believe in the platform or they believe in the ideas. I'd like to see a third and fourth party built, too, so we can have a bigger party, bigger tents. That, yeah, that's Evan coalition Nicole's, A giant yeah. circus of humans running for office. <laughs> I cannot wait for that. Well, uh, thank you for discussing big issues. We're almost to the end of the year. I feel like we need a podcast to wrap up this exciting year that 2020 has been. We should. We could never get through that many issues. Uh, I know, right? It, it has been an issue-oriented <laughs> year. Thank you for uh, being with us this week. We will talk at you soon. Uh, tell your friends about us and leave us a rating.